What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Vivali, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, has the official results to his bar exam that he absolutely crushed, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started, I just want to continue reminding everyone to please... Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if you have not already. It really only takes 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Um, throw us a whatever star review at this point. Leave some feedback in the comments. We just want to know that you're listening. Best way for us to gauge how the pod is doing and for you to help the pod out at this point. We can also be found, though, wherever else you consume your podcasts. Spotify. Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, we're all over the place. Spreaker, uh, so be sure to check us out wherever you, again, consume your podcasts. And with that, we get to the question that everyone really wants to know the answer to. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, doing a lot better than the Chicago Bulls, I suppose. Who isn't, though, you know? <laughs> um, did you watch that whole game, Warriors-Bulls? No, once it became clear that like Clay was cooking towards like the end of the first half is when I sort of turned it on and I had a few games going at once. Then I will say, you know, if there was a benefit to I've been against shortening the schedule just because I really like basketball, but if there was ever an argument for it, these like massive nights of games where there's <laughs> like between 8 and 11 uh uh tilts going on it would be it, it gets overwhelming sometimes because you want to watch everything, especially when there's like multiple storylines to follow. And so there's nine games on Monday night, and it's like imagine if there was only like three or four, and they were just able to spread them out more because teams are only playing sixty six games or something like that. Well, I'm always going to be against shortening it because I just I love the eighty two games and I love the for all sports like the history that's attached to the number of games that have been in place for so long yeah, um, that's where i generate for the history thing specifically um, yeah but yeah my, i mean come on like when it gets nine and ten and eleven games a night is that not overwhelming like sometimes it's tough to choose who to follow and then i get fomo if i'm missing out on something else that's going on yeah fortunately we have nba twitter that can kind of alert us to stuff like clay thompson last night um and there's usually like one or two games. There's there's like the five o'clock slot. Well, seven o'clock your time. Um, I hate you. <laughs> seven o'clock, nine o'clock, ten thirty. Um, and I feel like there's at least one game in each of those slots that I'm like more interested in than the rest. Mm -hmm. But my decision was made super easy for me last night because I was watching uh, Maverick Spurs, and with like three minutes left in overtime, my internet service provider just died. So I went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that took care of uh, 
my league pass for the night. But that was that was another. I mean, Clay Thompson was obviously the biggest story of the night, and we'll we'll talk more about him. But did you see any of what Luka Doncic did? He had a moment. It seemed like from what I did not catch any of that uh, Mavs Spurs game. He he had a moment. Um, I so I actually I lied. I did catch the very end of it, just in time to see Harrison Barnes turn the ball over on a on a crucial <laughs> possession in overtime. I think it was, but he is. I mean, he's he's probably like he's at least half as special as Trey Young. <laughs> at least so so. There's a lot of room to go up there. Um, 20 points, six rebounds, four assists, 46% from the field, and 39% from three at this point. He's he's killing it. Um, but I've already gotten us off track. We did not we did not plan to talk about Luka at all. Um, I, I, did you bring this up in the last pod, though, speaking of the Mavericks? The, like, the hate from the fan base for Wesley Matthews is like off I the did, charts. I don't know if I brought it up in the pod, but it has definitely been brought to my attention over and over um, on Twitter. I feel like the the fan bases that follow me the most is one obviously the Jazz, um, and then I think there's a lot of Mavericks and Nuggets followers for me as well. Um, and I've had a lot of people sending me tweets and even sending me like little requests in the last week. Like one guy asked me, uh, "Could you please see um, what Dallas's win percentage is when Wesley Matthews takes more than his average number of shots?" Um, there's, there's some significant Wesley Matthews pushback right now. There's uh, the offense I get because I don't need to see him take off the dribble floaters and I don't need to see him take off the dribble three pointers either, by the way, he's not, you know, he's not JJ Redick where you can have him like pin around screens and and just throw it up. This is crazy this Uh, season. What I will say though, is they're having complaints about his defense and he, I, I just don't know who, he should not be the guy that's going up against, you know, the the A1 scores in the NBA, like DeMar DeRozan, for instance. But who else on this team is going to catch those assignments would be my only question. The offensive stuff I get, but who are you putting on the other team's best wing? Like, that's where would, Dallas is still kind of yeah. lacking in that, like, the wing, the defensive wing depth. It's not going to be Harrison Barnes. Uh, he's better off defending, like fringe bigs at this point or not at this point he's always kind of been better off there i i guess maybe you could use dorian finney smith but that's only going to help you like that's not even half the game with the amount of time that he plays and they really don't have any other options after that because i don't think luka Doncic isn't that guy no uh he's not Trey young (laughs) could be though so um (laughs) you and trey young today at least uh at least Maverick fans can uh, lean back on the fact that this is a contract year, and they probably weren't going to make the playoffs anyway. So, if you're that upset about Wesley Matthews, he's actually uh, helping the tank. <laughs> you probably don't have to endure it for much longer. Um, but there's certainly a lot to be excited about if you're a Mavericks fan. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, again, Luka Doncic is fantastic. Still, would still be my pick for Rookie of the Year, and I'm sure he's he would be your number one pick as well. Um, yeah. Also- DeAndre Ayton's been ridiculous, too. This is going to be a fun year for rookies. I'm not giving up on Trey Young there, either. He's just having these moments. And yeah. there there are people who... So they're citing... I I looked yesterday... I looked before his game on Monday, and he was shooting, I think, under 30% on pull-up jumpers. But they accounted for just so many of his shots that those are just difficult 
attempts to take and to really fire them up as a rookie is like sort of impressive to me. And then just the vision he has on the offensive end is really, and his kind of ability to, to get these, they're not really circus finishes, but to just get the ball through thickets of arms uh, because he's not really long and he's not tall, but once he gets around the rim to do that, I still, I, I still wouldn't be surprised if he ended it to be runner up. But I think Luka Doncic is just, I, I mean, I get, like you said, Aiton has really just had the numbers, but I feel like Doncic is really going to pull away from the pack by the end of the season. Yeah, he's he's been very, very good. Um, maybe even a little better than I thought he'd be in the first few games. Wow, if he exceeded your expectations. <laughs> um, but it's funny that we ended up talking about the Mavericks and Wesley Matthews because we were supposed to be talking about Clay Thompson, who, I don't know if you heard, dropped 52 points against that stellar Bulls defense in under 27 minutes of action. His official game time was 26 minutes, 33 seconds. Uh, like I said, I wasn't watching that game uh, initially, and I turned it on before the first half was over. The third quarter was just, and I don't know if you saw this, was absolutely hysterical because the Warriors spent the first half of it just force-feeding Clay Thompson. The record, yeah. And he was he missed a bunch of shots, consecutive threes in a row at one point, hit one inside the arc, but they were just... I mean, you always see teammates, even with Stephen Curry, when he went off against the... I don't even remember what the team was this past week because the Warriors have been pretty much exhausting. But they were they were giving him the ball, and he took that like half court heat check. I'm blanking on who his 51 burger came against. Do you remember? Uh, no, but I can find it in about two seconds. It came against the uh, Wizards. Yeah, oh, the Wizards. Um, but this <laughs> was just, with Clay, go on a tangent with. Yeah, but this was just something different with Clay Thompson, and and Steph even said something uh, after the game about it, and so. There is there's something different when he gets hot as opposed to anybody. Like the 37 point quarter, I, I've never ever seen anything close to that. And there seems to be like, and maybe they do this on purpose because they know that at least offensively, he's probably sacrificed a little bit by being on this Warriors team. Because there are times when, with the uh, amount of possessions that Draymond Green cannibalizes as a primary ball handler, not so much this season, I'd say, but there have been times over the past three or four years where that's happened. And so he's been, you know, the third and fourth option for how much of the prime of his career. And again, he has three championship rings to show for it. Probably one of the, he's one of the three or four best shooters in NBA history. Um, and he's going to get all these easy looks, but to still see him work on defense as hard as he does on the ball every single night, maybe there's just that certain level of appreciation for that since he sacrificed elsewhere. But you're right. There's just something different in the air where he really gets cooking and to to just make 14 threes. He took, first of all, he took 24 threes in under 27 <laughs> minutes of action. There was, I think there was almost five minutes left in the third quarter when he was taken out of the game. I was, I wasn't surprised, but it wouldn't have surprised me if Kerr had pulled him before then. Like when they were just giving him all those shots and he was chucking and missing right around maybe that like six or seven minute mark. Uh, just because he seems very aware of perception around the league and still wants to be wants to not the, wants the Warriors to be well liked, but he doesn't want to offend other teams or their coaches or their their owners and stuff or get pushed back for playing his stars too much when they're up huge. And I was just when Clay kept missing at one point, I was wondering whether Kerr was even going to let him get to that fourteen three pointer. 
This is one gripe I have with Steve Kerr over the last few years. And I think everything you said is true. And it's and in addition to that, I'm sure he doesn't want his guys to get hurt in unnecessarily um, in games that are already decided. <laughs> but I want to see a game where Stephen, Stephen Curry scores like 75 points. Um, <laughs> I want to see a game like this where he just lets Clay Thompson play five or six more minutes just to see how far you can push it. Um, They've been in so many games over the last four or three or four years, however long it's been now, um, where the main guys didn't play a second of the fourth quarter. And they're they're still putting up just like ridiculous numbers. It's somebody needs to do like an exhaustive study of what their numbers might be like if they even played like nominal nominal fourth quarter minutes. I can't talk this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just incredible how quickly they can put up some of these numbers. I, I didn't even really register it until you said it um, a second ago. 24 three-point attempts in just over 26 minutes, almost one attempt per minute is just, that's mind-blowing to me. Um, I, <laughs> he started the, the night 5 of 36 from 3 on the season, 13.9%. At halftime, he was up to 30% from 3. By the end of the game, he's up to 31.7. It it was just incredible to see what he had done. Um, And then, as a team, I mean, forget about the the 10 threes that Clay hit in the first half for a second. They scored 92 points in a single half against the the Bulls. Um, When this, I mean, on the nights when all three of the guys have it going a little bit or Clay has it going and the other two have it like halfway going, um, there's just nothing I've ever seen like this. They're incredible. (laughs) Yeah, I almost forgot about the 92 point. The NBA needs a mercy rule almost. (laughs) But I I would like to see Steve Kerr do what you you said as well, where Stephen Curry goes for 75 or maybe let Clay Thompson try and chase 23s. Or maybe you try and get to 200 points because that certainly seems to be in play for them uh, eventually or or just a possibility with the way that they can hit threes when they really want to shoot them if Clay gets going like that. At the same time, if anyone ever got injured during one of those just scoring sprees, we would destroy Steve Kerr. Yeah. Everyone would destroy him. And when you've kind of had the, the murky health bill that Curry did in the past, the ankle issues, and then Kevin Durant hasn't yeah. been the billboard for health since arriving in Golden State. Why, t- why take your chances? It would have been, you know, Stephen Curry against the Wizards would have been nice to see him go for the career high, maybe, and perhaps that's something you can indulge a little bit more. But at the same time, if you, if anything freakish yeah. were to happen during that span, he would be destroyed. And I, and I think the longer, <laughs> the longer you leave guys out there when the game is just a beat down like that the more likely some opposing player is to be like pissed off and uh hip check him or something like that so yeah you're the the reasonable thing is what steve kerr has been doing for the last few years but the selfish fan in me just wants to see these absurd performances did you see my tweet about the record for most points and a half by the way i did not because <laughs> they scored 92 in the first half and i thought there's no way that's been done before um, so I looked it up and on November 10th, 1990, the Phoenix scun scuns, th- this is, this is an amazing Phoenix one. skunks. Is that what you were about <laughs> to say? 
1990, the Phoenix Suns scored 107 points in the first half. Uh, I didn't even know that. I'd love to see the box score from that game. I, um, the box score is amazing. They went 0 for 2 for 3 in that game. Um, finished with 173 points. They had uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 guys score 20. One guy score 30. Uh, three other guys in double figures. <laughs> then <laughs> the pace in the 90s basketball games was incredible. The pace and the lack of defense, I would say. But anyway, <laughs> seven points and a half is just, that that was mind-blowing to me. But that that one that we saw last night, the 92, that's the second most ever scored. And it just didn't even, it didn't feel unnatural. For, well, I didn't see as much of the first half, but the, just the the end of it, and then even like that third quarter or much just didn't feel unnatural what they were doing. No, it's they're they're clearly capable of it, which is just insane. Um I have a big picture question for you about this, but I, I just wanted to throw something at you on on Clay Thompson's night. So just for some perspective, um Marco Bellinelli last night played twenty three minutes and sixteen seconds. He attempted 12 shots and scored 13 points. Uh, first of all, the Spurs need him, by the way. His three-point percentage is in the toilet right now, but he's really just like their only high-volume three-point shooter aside from Bryn Forbes. So they kind of have to deal with him shooting 33% from beyond the arc. I again digress, though. So he played 23 minutes, 16 seconds, attempted 12 shots, scored 13 points. He had the ball for a total of one minute and 42 seconds. Now, Clay Thompson played 26 minutes, 33 seconds, attempted 29 shots, scored 52 points. He had the ball for one minute and 36 seconds total. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's mind-blowing. That is absolutely nuts. And yeah. I, I looked at this before, too. I was actually surprised at how many of Clay's shots came off more than one dribble. So 20... Uh, 24 of his shots came off one dribble or less, and then five of his attempts he used between two and six dribbles. It's just, and it's not, I mean, that's just what, what he really does. I feel like they've let him experiment off the dribble a little bit more this year, maybe not permitted him to experiment, but encouraged him to kind of pump fake and, and dribble in. Uh, but just one minute and 36 seconds was his time of possession on a night in which he dropped 52 points and attempted. 29 shots. It's just insane. I wonder how many guys over the course of history, and it's too bad that we don't have data on this further back than the last few years, but so, so this is more of a subjective question, but I just wonder how many in the course of NBA history are better catch and shoot three point shooters than Clay Thompson. There's, I don't want to say this before because I don't want to be hyperbolic and Buck's Twitter was already mad at me for a bad joke that I made last night. I is he can we just call him the second best shooter in NBA history? Um I I'm hearing that thrown around a lot lately and like top 3 even. Uh I don't know if I'm for sure there. Although it's it's insane that he probably already has an argument. Who um, would you put ahead of him? I think still in the conversation for number 2 would be Ray Allen, uh Reggie Miller, um, some guys that aren't talked about as much, but their shooting numbers are just insane. Or guys like Kyle Korver, Steve Novak, uh, 
Steve Novak, Brent Barry. That was literally a joke for me. Sorry. Not Brent (laughs) Barry. That's a legitimate one. Uh, The Steve Novak one, though, I mean, his volume is nowhere near the other guys. But his effective field goal percentage, um, I think it might be higher than Stephen Curry's. But he's he's a ridiculous shooter. He's probably not number two because he doesn't have the volume and he doesn't have really the degree of difficulty that some of these other guys have. But... Um, you really I, did not need to spend 10 seconds like justifying <laughs> that. There's there's a lot of guys in the conversation for number two is what I'm getting at long-winded. Steve Nash is another one that you could maybe throw in the conversation. He's a guy who hit a bunch off the dribble. But um, Imagine if he had James Harden's green light. Well, he probably did, but imagine if he like used it. Yeah, could have been very, very um, – yeah, he could have put up ridiculous numbers. But anyway, Stephen Curry's – the undisputed number one to me. I know there's still some people out there who don't go that direction, which I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't figure that out at this point. Um, but the fact that <laughs> Clay Thompson has an argument for number two and both of these guys are on the same team. Oh, and then they also have this seven footer who's probably one of the top five scorers of all time. It's just, it's insane what they've put together. Now he would be my big picture question based off all this. You had Stephen Curry go for 51 points against the Wizards. Then two days later, their very next game against the Knicks, Kevin Durant drops 41. They play a game against Brooklyn and where the Nets came back, and that was actually really fun to watch on Sunday. Then we go to Monday, and Klay Thompson drops 52 points in under 27 minutes. So within a week of one another, we get hallmark detonations from Clay, KD, and Steph. Does this, I don't want to call it a stretch, but does this sort of microcosm of Warriors basketball increase the feeling of an inevitability behind how this season is ultimately going to end with what we would deem a third consecutive Warriors championship and fourth in five years? Um, I think it probably should. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I came into this season. I I mean, I knew they were, I didn't know. Um, I was pretty sure they were going to win the title this year. And I'm, we both True. knew. Everyone knew. Let's just let's get that out um, of the way. And I was a little bit down on the Rockets after the very what I thought was an odd offseason from them. But I also thought Denver's played them pretty well over the last couple of years. Utah beat them three times last season. Um, Toronto seems like they match up fairly well. Boston has a lot of talent. Um, maybe Coach Bud will take Milwaukee to the next level. And all that stuff is true. <laughs> But the Warriors are the Warriors, and there's almost like a little – it looks like there's a little bit of that swagger back to them that they had a couple years ago where they wanted to prove to everyone that they're the greatest team ever, basically, that year that they won 73. Um, If they're locked in like this all season, they could win high 60s, uh, maybe even push for 70 again, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them sweep through the playoffs. Sweep through the playoffs. It sounds, playing in the Western Conference, it sounds bizarre. To, but at the same time, it's like, with the Who's way the, the, yeah, there's, I'm trying to think. And it's, it's the only good, team that pushed them last year was the Rockets, right? Right. I mean, you're talking about going straight through. And we know the Warriors sometimes take nights off. But really, they, if they wanted to, it's odd that in their, in their third year with Kevin Durant, that that would be the best year. Because you think that that would be when they would be maybe more exhausted, which is still possible, but also you'd think that another threat would have emerged. But with what's kind of happened with the Rockets' defense 
I mean, maybe they rebound, but who would be the team that you could look at? And last year, I think you could have said this about the Rockets. There's no way the Warriors will sweep them. I don't think that team exists in the West right now. If the Rockets don't get Jimmy Butler, I don't, I don't give them a shot against the Warriors. The way they're currently constituted, they, do, they just do not match up nearly as well. There are not enough first-round picks in the world for Houston to trade to Minnesota for Jimmy Butler after his performance against the Lakers last night. <laughs> I So I've gone back and forth on this a bunch of times, but again, last night I had the thought, what if Tibbs is just stubborn and keeps him the whole year? It's still a possibility, I think, that wouldn't be all that shocking. <sighs> it's It would be stupid. Oh, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree. And now I also say that um, having the – did you listen to Woj on the Zach Lowe podcast in the last day or two? No, still playing catch-up. I actually just listened to he, Woj talk with Brian Winhurst on his his pod, the Woj pod. He, he said he thinks the uh, that this will all be resolved by Thanksgiving. Um, and they also mentioned that October 31st deadline when a few more guys are going to become eligible to be traded – but he, he made it sound like it's it's probably going to be done sooner rather than later. We'll see. Um, would you? This was for uh, a Clay Thompson stat that I pulled up before, but it actually would you would you like Luka Doncic to be put in the same company as Clay Thompson? Oh, I would absolutely like so that. So sixty nine players are averaging at least four pull up jumpers per game this year. Here are the top five, and number one makes me uneasy: Tim Hardaway Jr. <laughs> this is in just raw field goal percentage. Um, Darren Collison is number two, 53.6%. Tim Hardaway is 53.8%. Clay Thompson and Luka Doncic are tied for third at 52.2% uh, on pull-up jumpers. And then coming in at number five uh, at 50% is Chris Middleton. If you And if you, if you want to account for effective field goal percentage, um, Chris Middleton's number one. Of 69 players, James Harden's number two. Tim Hardaway Jr.'s number three. Blake Griffin, number four. Luka Doncic, number five in front of Stephen Curry. Because... That's pretty wild. Luka Doncic is hitting 35% of his pull-up three-pointers. Which is... <laughs> and it's not... You... I watched more of him than a lot of other rookies coming in just because you were so into him, which I think just infected me um, with enthusiasm for him. And... That's not surprising, just when you watch the degree of difficulty from some of his, some of his shots before he enters uh, the NBA. And that he's doing that as a rookie, maybe he'll hit a rookie wall. We're talking about a seven-game sample size from him, but yeah. that's that's nutty. Yeah, it is. He's, he's off to a pretty ridiculous start. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't really have anything to add to that. I would not have expected him to be in the top five in those numbers. And just as a random note, Stephen Curry is hitting 48.4% of his pull-up three-pointers. And he's probably taken a ton already, right? 3.9 per game is his average. <laughs> this, <laughs> if, if we want to play the sustainable or not nah game, Blake Griffin, 58.8% on pull-up three-pointers, 3.4 attempts per game. Yeah, I don't think we need to play the game on that one. <laughs> um, the Jimmy Butler stuff is interesting, though, because I don't... There's no if you're if if Tibbs had his way if this was literally he had carte blanche which re, which wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to say just because he is the coach and president 
But if Glenn Taylor wasn't the type of owner to get involved, I think you could absolutely predict again that Jimmy Butler stays in Minnesota through the year. But there is no way that Glenn Taylor lets him do that. Whether it happens before Thanksgiving, after it, right around the trade deadline, there's just, being an owner, and there have been reports that he's thinking about selling the team, there's no way he can afford to let a top 10 player leave for nothing. Yeah. um, Like you said earlier, it would be stupid if they didn't trade him. Um, And maybe the motivation is, I know I'm going to be gone at the end of this season too, so what do I care? I'm just going to try to win as many games as I can this season. And Jimmy Butler obviously gives me a better chance of doing that, getting mid-40s, maybe making the playoffs again than I would have otherwise. Um, So I think that's maybe the motivation, that and just sort of the stubbornness that we mentioned earlier. But yeah, the objectively smarter thing to do (laughs) is to get what you can for him, especially if there's a team out there offering four first-round picks or three, depending on which players go back. That was another thing Woj talked about is that the Rockets offer, I guess, was sort of a sliding scale. And it was like, if you want these players, then we'll attach two first-round picks. If you want these players, then it'll be four, um, so to speak, type of thing. So I assume if it's like Eric Gordon and somebody, and we've heard that Tom Thibodeau wants a starting shooting guard back in this deal, then maybe it's not four first-round picks from Houston. Um, whatever, Whatever it ends up being on that scale seems like a pretty good offer at this point. Um, and it doesn't, I guess, I guess it seems like it's mostly down to the Rockets and the Heat at this point, but it wouldn't shock me if some other team sort of came out of nowhere and made a play. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the smart thing to do obviously is, is there's almost no chance that this guy's coming back in free agency next summer. You, you got to get what you can for him at this point. That would be and, exhausting if he did though. Imagine they just keep him throughout the year. Then they give him his five year, $190 million deal. He just yeah. comes back. Um, I, that would be stupid to me too. And I know that right now he makes you a lot better, but I, Carl Anthony Towns has a chance and he probably already is like just a ridiculous. Um, he's already a ridiculous talent. What I should say is he has a chance to be like an all time great big man. And I don't think you want to mess with that by having this guy who's uh, clashes so hard with him on your team, especially not at that salary, especially not at his age. And especially not with the mileage that he already has on his legs. I, I just think even that would be stupid. And I don't think people comprehend how good Carl Anthony Towns is because his help defense is atrocious. And it's when you l- just look at the way he scores and give me, I, I, again, his, his passivity, maybe that's an issue because there are nights where it seems like he could take more shots or that he he's not hitting shots that he should be making. And then people start talking about his effort and and his interest. Uh, interest. And then Jim Peterson just de- like absolutely annihilated him the other night when the Wolves were losing and said, "This is just one of those nights where Carl Anthony Towns doesn't want to play basketball." And, and perhaps that's a red flag. But t- tell me another big man who's been able to score like him just ever. He's so there's there's a nonchalance about the way he just hits threes, the way he kind of can operate off the dribble from the top of the arc. And then the things he's able to do in the post and the power he really has when he unleashes it, it, he's one of the best scoring big men in history. And he could probably be when all said and done, the most versatile big man scorer in NBA history. You want to, you want to hear a couple stats that might back that up for you? You know, I hate numbers. 
but okay. <laughs> Among players with at least 5,000 career minutes um, who take more than 15 shots per game. Top three in effective field goal percentage. One, Shaquille O'Neal. Two, Stephen Curry. Three, Carl Anthony Towns. If you switch it to true shooting percentage, um, same qualifiers, 5,000 plus minutes, 15 shots a game. One, Stephen Curry. Two, Adrian Dantley. Actually tied for two, Adrian Dantley and Carl Anthony Towns. Towns has a higher career true shooting percentage than Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, I could go on and on and on. The caveat being he's in season number four, but that's still sure. incredible. But that also means that over the next four or five years, that number might actually creep up a little bit. Yeah, that's that's, that's definitely possible. It's crazy. Um, offensively, like you said, there there are just few, if any, guys in the history of the game who who present um, as I guess tantalizing a skill set as he does. If he ever figures it out to be even like an average defensive player, um, they've got they've got if not the best big man in the league, like a top five big man in for the next five ten years. I don't I don't know why you would. <laughs> Mess with that. Get what you can for Jimmy Butler right now. It sounds like there are some decent offers out there, and move forward with Towns. That's that seems like the no brainer to me. I do hope it's a, just the team that comes out of nowhere that gets him. Right now, we're looking at it and saying if Tibbs has his way, it'll probably be some iteration of the Miami offer. If Glenn Taylor is interested in starting over um, or thinks that that might be an easier way to sell the team for some reason, that Rockets offer with three firsts. And players who aren't injured, like an Eric Gordon being included with a, a with with Nene or with Brandon Knight or whoever else that they're going to try and send over, it would be accepted. I'd love it for just to be, you know, the Pelicans or or the Wizards to get involved with by dangling Otto Porter. It'd just be fun if it's the team that comes out of nowhere and just gets them. I'm always a fan of that. For the, uh, well, I think we both pull for chaos. I root for <laughs> chaos. Yes. Um, speaking of chaos, we get to the NBA's foremost agent of chaos, LeBron James. After that loss to the Timberwolves, he was talking to media members, and this is the quote that is making the rounds. You probably don't want to be around when my patience runs out. I'm serious. Now, I want to provide context here because he said this before, and he was specifically asked about his leadership before he made that patience comment he also said this to preface it we talk about patience but you can't have the reoccurrence of the same thing if you are doing the same things over and over and over and expecting the same result then that's insanity so we have to get better we can't keep having the mistakes over and over that's a little bit like middle management seminar or something yeah that's a little bit more innocuous though in some right yeah, I mean, this is not unusual for LeBron either. Like, <laughs> how many comments like this has he had over the course of his career? Oh, it, it's a bunch. It would be, I don't think he's, I've actually said I think this time is going to be different and that he'll slow play this more than usual because if there was that heightened sense of urgency, why didn't anything happen after his immediate arrival? There's no way, and forget about packaging the youngsters in a trade, there's no way he looked at the subsequent moves, and especially if he endorsed them and thought, oh, I can win a championship or contend for one with these guys. No, you signed Rondo and Beasley, who doesn't even play anymore. Yeah, I would think so, but 
I've I've learned you can never. Uh, well, then that would be absolute bullshit. Overestimate a player's uh, <laughs> ability to evaluate talent. I mean, he's he's certainly missed in the past. I would call bullshit on that then because I'm <laughs> I'm in the camp that you can't punt on a year of LeBron's prime, and there's always going to be that ingrained expectation, and those expectations are always going to be super lofty. But the time for this to is ha- to have happened is when you first signed and you had an offseason and a training camp and there were stars that were readily available for trade other than Jimmy Butler. When you're, I'm just looking at Kawhi Leonard and then the Jimmy Butler stuff obviously came after when the Lakers had cap space instead of funneling these one-year placeholder funneling money into these one-year placeholders, you even if it was tacitly committed to sort of delaying contention until at least 2019. So now to come out here and complain about where you are, I get it because you don't want to waste a year of your prime. And maybe you thought that you could lead this group to the playoffs and it's turning out to be tougher at two and five when you're trailing both the Mavericks and the Kings in the standings to to get them there. But again, that's something that I feel like should have been realized over the summer. This isn't news. I have the Lakers making the playoffs and their struggles aren't news to me. They don't surprise me. They don't surprise you. This Mm -hmm. is what... The problems with this team are almost the exact problems that people thought they were going to have. And so if he does get to the point where he just encourages, endorses, invites this substantive midseason turnover, I would call BS there. Because if you didn't want to punt on a year of your prime or risk punting on a year by, by missing the playoffs, I understand. But then you should have signed somewhere else, preferably Utah or Denver, if you cared about the <laughs> basketball fit so much. Yeah, um, as <clears throat> as most listeners and Twitter followers know, I uh, I was all on board LeBron to Utah. Um, I have two other things on this. Um, first, there's rumblings, at least if some podcasts. I, I think Zach Lowe has talked about this. I think Bill Simmons has talked about this. There's there's like, um, I'll just use the word again, rumblings throughout the NBA that younger players may not want to play with LeBron anymore. It's just, at least younger stars. Um, it's just not all that appealing anymore. Kyrie Irving demanded a trade to get out there. And then he talked about it was like the best decision of his life <laughs> later. Um, Jimmy Butler demands a trade. The Lakers aren't on the list of teams that he wants to go to. Paul George doesn't even take a meeting with the Lakers when he's a free agent. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we're starting to get, in addition to whatever these rumblings are, we're starting to get some like actual evidence that people don't want to be subjected to this anymore, which I don't necessarily blame them for because <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy what you're signing up for. If things go well, it's it's all LeBron. And if things don't go well, then it's LeBron's supporting cast. That's the problem. Um, and I think guys <laughs> just kind of want to avoid that circus. Um, so that's that's one thing that I think is interesting and it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers overcome that um obviously if they get <laughs> Anthony Davis um that all that talk's going to go by the wayside fairly quick I would think um the other one is I wonder now now that they're two and five there's already some rumblings about Luke Walton's job um it's interesting how early in the season we can get big big um discussion topics like this when it comes to LeBron seven games in and they're already talking about firing the coach 
and nobody wants to play with LeBron. It's and it, what is this year fifteen for him? It's it's just crazy how how much the NBA universe continues to revolve around him. I would you? I'd be against them firing Luke Walton. First of all, who is who are you going out there and getting right now? You gonna Ty Lue? Is that would that be the plan? <laughs> Maybe. Didn't he say you know where to find me? <laughs> yeah. So, and the other thing is, I don't especially when there's been a substantial addition or you're working with that new acquisition, big time acquisition, and then pieces that don't necessarily fit around him perfectly. I would say Luke Walton is only guilty essentially of coaching the Lakers to where their roster says that they should be. You gave him a team filled with crummy shooters for the most part, and they're hitting 33% of their threes on the season. You gave him a ton of offensive talent, and they're seventh in points scored per 100 possessions. You gave him not enough defensive talent, and they're 23rd in points allowed per 100 possessions. None of this is surprising, and unless you think that he's coached games poorly towards the end of them since the Lakers have been close in basically all of their contests, maybe he left Lance Stevenson in too long in, in the fourth quarter at times. Unless you're really just against that and think he's he's cost them two wins let's say by this point because they've played so many close games I don't understand the logic behind firing him I one don't know that there's just this guaranteed upgrade out there and maybe there is but two this this isn't the year to do it like it deal with this over the summer because you're not winning the championship this year Mm -hmm. and I actually think there would be if if the Lakers make a trade, if they fire Luke Walton, and let's say they make the playoffs and they get bounced in the, the first or second round, I feel like there would be people would be more pissed off or, or angry or likely to criticize LeBron than if they missed the lottery because they didn't make changes and really tried to let this group grow. And again, I understand that inherent urgency of having LeBron James at the same time LeBron James chose to sign with this team there was not even when the Kawhi Leonard stuff was going on the Lakers were linked to him there were not all these rumblings that they were ready to just mortgage their youth to go out and get that second star when they couldn't um sign one and the way they reacted so swiftly with the signings of uh Rondo and and JaVale and Contavious Coel Pope and Lance Stevenson this feels like their plan and like how can you not come into this season as LeBron as management and understand that it's about 2019 more than anything else. That's just where that's just yeah. where I'm at right now. I don't necessarily agree with that approach, and I'll harp on the additions they made. You know, I'm looking at Michael Beasley, who doesn't play. You could have used a bulk of your room exception on someone who actually helped you then. And it's not like he needs to play. If you put him and Kuzma and LeBron, regular season LeBron, on the court at the same time, you're just going to bleed points left and right. Yeah. Brooke Lopez signed for less in Milwaukee than Michael Beasley had, and you actually already had Brooke Lopez on your roster. Kylo Quinn signed a full mid, full room exception deal with the Pacers. He would have helped you up front. You could have leaned into the perimeter defensive craze and given Bob Mute, who signed for the room exception with the Clippers for one year. You had other options if you were unwilling to give out multi-season agreements. And I'm just not... I. Again, and they've been close. So who's to say things won't break right for them as the season goes on? And I don't think LeBron is at that tipping point just yet. If he gets there, though, it's just super hypocritical 
and I'll, I'll just be over it. And you know, I'm the biggest, one of the biggest proponents of LeBron yeah. that there is. I was going to say that that last bit is um, definitely unusual coming from you, but I agree with everything you said there. I think that was a uh, spot on rant. And I think my favorite part is Luke Walton has coached this team to where it should be at this point. If you looked at that roster coming into the season, that's um, objectively, I don't think you could have been much better <laughs> than two and five after these first seven games. And like you said, maybe they'll figure it out at some point. Um, but yeah, right, right now I just, anyone who expected them to be like a title contender this year was just fooling themselves. Um, LeBron James, adds probably 10 wins still, even at this point in his career. But you lost your best player from last season in Julius Randle. Um, you let Brooke Lopez walk. That point about Kyle O'Quinn, I never thought about him on the Lakers. He would have been incredible there. And I can't wait for the day when that guy actually gets to play real minutes. I don't, Might <laughs> I don't never know. Come. What's that? Might never come. I know. He's he's amazing in, in very, very limited roles. Um, but, yeah, the, the roster building was just so, so – strange um and and lebron and everyone else probably should have approached this season as as sort of a punt to next season and and that's probably too much to ask of a player especially somebody who's as competitive as lebron he probably thinks he can take any roster in the nba and instantly turn him into a title contender and that's that's probably fair given how his career has gone um but yeah like you just take a sort of a zoomed out view of that roster and it, it never should have been seen as a title contender. Um, do you, are you still pretty confident they make the playoffs? Yeah, I think they'll get there just because th- some of these teams who are in front of them right now, uh, the Kings are not staying over 500 forever. I apologize, but that's just not happening. Although uh, Bielitz is playing very tradable basketball right now <laughs> if, if they wanted to actually steer into their rebuild a, a little further uh, once the trade deadline rolls around. I think he could be traded. He's one of the guys who will be eligible to move in December. I digress again, but the Kings are going to fall off. The Timberwolves, we have to think, are going to trade Jimmy Butler. And so those are the two most direct teams in front of them. And then you look at the other three who are in the playoff picture right now, six, seven, and eight for the West, Portland, the Clippers, the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, maybe we all underestimated the Blazers. That seems like just a, a rite of passage. Uh, yeah. the, the Grizzlies, I would think, are, are going to be bounced from the postseason they've they've had some encouraging moments but I just don't see them having the depth or the firepower to last an entire year in the west uh it gets complicated though because we're talking about the Rockets have are are tied with the Thunder for the second worst record in the in the western conference right now and you have to believe that they're They're both going to rebound I would still put the Lakers in which probably means I'm saying the Blazers Clippers and Grizzlies won't make it and again, if they don't, that's just that's the risk that he took by going to LA. In my mind, again, you don't punt on a year of LeBron's prime, but he did it himself by signing with this team, and then, per all the reports that we saw, getting on board with their plan. Yeah. So you can't well, pull that. Old, it's like what the Cavaliers did with Lou. They wanted to chase wins, and then all of a sudden fired him because he showed resistance when they wanted him to lean into a youth movement that they're not really built to indulge. I was on the fence about the Lakers making the playoffs this summer. Um, and I think I was maybe a little bit more pessimistic about them than most people. And I'm, I'm starting to fall off that fence. Um, I'm not ready to definitively rule them out, but the West is crazy. 
And like you said, there's already two teams behind them, the Thunder and the Rockets. It's just really hard to imagine staying behind them. Um, so in addition to all those teams, they got a leapfrog. There's a couple coming up behind, or at least should be coming up behind, that are that are certainly going to be heard from before the season is over. That being uh, said, you would think that, the, and the last thing, because I know that, that you have to go, they're one in five in clutch games. So decided by by five. Yeah, they're playing close, that's for sure. Yeah, and only the only the Mavericks, Spurs, and Wizards have played more minutes of clutch basketball right now. And so they, they've been close in just a bunch of their games. And they're, they're uh, I, I get, like their schedule hasn't been super easy. Like it looks like it has been now. If you look at their strength of schedule, it's actually above average in terms of simplicity, but that's because the Rockets are a tire fire right now. And the, 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 you know, the, you play the Suns too, but so those games aren't necessarily indicative. The, the Rockets game specifically isn't indicative of the, the strength of the schedule that the Lakers have faced. If those wins start, I, I, maybe if we're talking in December and they're, you know, like four and 18 or something crazy and like these, that was probably too dramatic, but if they're still terrible in close games, then that's when you start talking about having legitimate internal discussions where maybe you don't blow anything up, but there is a change. Maybe you do fire Luke Wall, or maybe you do make a trade. But at one and five, all of your losses then have come when you've played clutch basketball. And that's not ideal, but I think it's encouraging to the point where you could say, well, some of those close outings have to turn in their favor eventually. Yeah, especially if you have a young roster too and guys who are, are still figuring out how to win in clutch situations. Um, it takes a, it takes a few years for a lot of guys, but the other side of this is with the way the Western conference is going to be this season. It's, it's almost like every single loss already matters. Um, because as, as has been pointed out many, many times last season, the difference between number three, Portland and number nine, Denver was like three games. So like Utah's random loss to Memphis at home that they've already had, that could really come back to bite them. Um, and just any any little loss here and there is, is just crucial in the Western Conference. It's going to be a nightmare again. Um, and especially when a team that you expected to be definitively out, like the Sacramento Kings, looks kind of kind of spunky this year. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, but they're competitive. Um, so they're, Dallas they're, and Sacramento start just stealing games. Exactly. We're pushing playoff contenders to the brink. Yeah. That's a problem. Uh, <laughs> Alice is probably going to steal some wins from some people over the course of the season. They probably won't make the playoffs either, but um, just, just stealing wins is um, that's enough to ruin somebody else's chances. Really the only walkover team in the West right now is the Phoenix Suns. I, I can't imagine them getting any better. So you have 14 teams um, <laughs> that on a night to night basis, can beat you it's it's just crazy what that conference is um so a two and five start it's too early to panic for sure uh, but those losses can come back to haunt you if you're playing in the the western conference anything else we want to hit on before we go today um no not really i think the the Cavs situation we didn't get to that was sort of a mess but that news is old news at this point i will say i know some people have taken the stance that larry drew should just accept his last chance at coaching a team. I actually respect what he's doing, either trying to get substantial compensation or secure an extra year so that they do fire him. He has 
a security blanket because you don't want to be associated with what could be the the worst team in the NBA with Kevin Love out for more than a month, especially. Yeah. Um, yeah, that team, <laughs> that team is an absolute. It's just funny that now they're they're starting to lead into the, this whole Tyron Tyron Lue situation. It should have been handled over the off season, unless they yeah. they talked it. Like if you didn't specifically talk to him and say there's a chance that early on we might have to pivot into a youth movement, are you on board? And he was all gung ho about it, only to resist after that like first game where he didn't play Corver and Smith, and I, I, then okay, but you should have figured this out already. Yeah, and now it's. I think like you were about to say, it's they, they should have pivoted into a rebuild long before this. And if they're not doing that now, then I, I don't know what they're thinking. It's time to start the Cleveland Cavaliers fire sale. Um, Three months too late or four months too late or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you want to uh, argue with us or uh, commend us on any of our takes, find us on Twitter. Dan's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-L-E, A-L-E, sorry, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, uh, leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, subscribe to us. Listen to us on Spotify. Um, so now if you have some friend who's been resistant, I don't I don't have an iPhone. I'm not listening to this incredible podcast that you keep uh, recommending to me. Well, it's on, it's on Spotify now. So there are no excuses. Make sure your friends and family are listening as well. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Benno Udry and Kyle Anderson. Who really needs the shout-out right now. (laughs) Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.